Good morning, everyone. Today's reading is from Luke, chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. So it's Luke, chapter 1, 30, 20, from 26 to 38. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Thank you, Judy. It's a passage I'm sure that uh, is well known to us. Let's come to God now in prayer as we see how God will apply this to our lives today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that in your word there is a truth that can save Please, Lord, shine that truth into our lives this morning. By your Spirit, apply it to each one of us individually according to our need that we might know you better and love you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on this Christmas Eve Sunday morning, I've chosen to look at the Annunciation of Christ's birth. This is where the angel Gabriel tells Mary that she's going to become the mother of the Messiah. Now that's big news, isn't it? Very big news. What an extraordinary thing. I wonder how she began her day. I wonder what she was doing when Gabriel suddenly appeared in her home with this extraordinary announcement that she of all people was to become the mother of the Messiah. Gabriel says to Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. In other words, the Son of God. 
And what probably shocked Mary most of all at this point was not the promise, but the fact that this promise should have come to her. How can this be? Is this a dream? Have you come to the wrong house, Gabriel? Rocked on the wrong door? How can I become the mother of my Lord? How can I, as a virgin, give birth to this son? Today, most people think of the Annunciation as the start of the Christmas story because this is where we meet Mary and learn that she was engaged to a man named Joseph who was from the royal line of King David. And you know how the story goes, right? Joseph and Mary were just really common peasants. They were nobodies from nowhere. Nazareth was about as far as you could get from the corridors of power in Jerusalem. It was a backwater village in a remote Gentile-tainted region called Galilee. It was barely on the map, politically speaking. And yet it pleased the Lord to choose this couple from Nowheresville in Nazareth to fulfil his mighty purposes in salvation. Mary and Joseph were faithful Israelites. They both clung to their heritage and their hope, They both believe that one day the Messiah will come to save his people from their sins and that one day God will restore the kingdom to Israel. They just didn't expect that it would happen through them. That's a big part of this Christmas story, the fact that God chose this humble couple to bring Christ into the world. This is the annunciation of Christ's birth to Mary. It's the story of Mary and her child. And I want to look at four things in this important story that are worth celebrating. Four things that are worth celebrating. First, when it happened, which is in the sixth month, according to verse 26. Second, to whom it happened, namely to the Virgin Mary. Third, how it happened, by a miracle of God's Holy Spirit and power. And fourth, why it matters. Because clearly it does matter. It matters very much that this be the way that God accomplished his purposes. Otherwise, after 2,000 years, people would be tired of trying to remove Christ from Christmas. And the fact that they don't get tired of it only shows that Jesus is still getting under people's skin even after all this time, which is a good thing. So today, I actually want to increase the discomfort of unbelievers by talking about the annunciation of Christ's birth in such a way that they might turn to Christ and live. Because that's what Christmas is really all about. It's about the birth of our Saviour and the circumstances under which his birth came about. So in particular, we have the story of what's called the incarnation, the taking on of human flesh of the divinity of God and how it was accomplished, the virgin birth, which means that Jesus is fully human and fully divine at the same time. And that's why when it comes to Jesus, you have to conclude Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. That's something Hudson Taylor once said, a missionary to China. Christ is either Lord of all or is not Lord at all. I presume we're here today because we believe that Jesus is Lord of all or we'd have something better to do with our Sunday mornings, wouldn't we? 
So today I've got a challenge for you. The challenge is, where do you personally stand with Jesus this Christmas? Where do you personally stand with Jesus this Christmas? Is he Lord of all for you? Is he Christ the King? Is he Christ your King? Born of a virgin, born to reign over us, born to bring us second birth. If only more people would see that Jesus is truly God with us, God in the flesh, come to dwell among us and reveal the light of God's truth to us, that he is both Son of Man and Son of God, then the joy of Christmas could be spread so much more widely than it is. So my first point today looks at the question of when this happened. When did this happen? When did Mary first find out that she was going to become the mother of the Messiah? Well, according to Luke, it happened in the sixth month, as he says in verse 26. Do you see? In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town of Galilee. In the sixth month. But hold on. Which sixth month are we talking about? The sixth month of Herod reign? The sixth month of the year? Are we talking about June, effectively? Which sixth month is Luke talking about? Well, full marks, if you know the answer, it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. What an interesting choice of timing. An odd starting point for the Christmas story, isn't it? The sixth month of the pregnancy of another person. Why does Luke start the Christmas story in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy? Well, it makes sense when you dig a little deeper and begin to realise things like this, that Elizabeth and Mary are cousins, near relatives. What's more, Elizabeth is now in the sixth month of her own miraculous pregnancy with John the Baptist. For it was said of her that she was too old to have children, but her husband Zechariah, one of the priests, had been praying for his wife over many, many, many years. And when he was ministering in the temple, the angel Gabriel appeared to Zechariah and said, I'm going to answer your prayers for your wife, Elizabeth. And Zechariah doubted it. And God caused him to be mute until that child was born. So Luke begins his Christmas story not with Mary, but with Elizabeth. Not with the birth of Jesus, but with the birth of John the Baptist. Now basically, Luke wrote chapter 1 of his gospel, which we're looking at this morning. He wrote chapter 1 to get to chapter 2. You know, the silly joke question, why did the chicken cross the road? Well, to get to the other side, you say. Yeah, that's right. Well done. Now let me ask again, why did Luke write chapter 1 of his gospel? Again, it's to get to the other side. And if you turn in your Bible, you say, well, what's in chapter 2? Where does chapter 2 bring us? Wow, wouldn't you believe it? The birth of Jesus. So he's writing chapter 1 to bring us to the point where Jesus Christ is born. He wrote chapter 1 to get to chapter 2, the birth of Jesus. Having investigated all these things carefully from the beginning, Luke realised that John the Baptist had to come first in order to prepare the way for the Messiah, which is to fulfill a prophecy from the book of Malachi in chapter 3, which says, See, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. 
Well, John the Baptist is that messenger. It's John the Baptist's mission in life to prepare the way for the Lord. And while we think of his ministry happening when he's an adult, Luke is saying, well, God's plan and purpose goes right back to the beginning. In fact, the conception of John the Baptist and the conception of Jesus. And that's why Luke begins his Christmas story not with Mary, but with Elizabeth, and not with the birth of Jesus, but with the birth of John the Baptist. It all has to do with God's perfect timing and the fulfilment of his promises. Luke also confirms that these were very dark times in Israel's history, spiritually speaking. But now a new day is dawning. Luke is saying God's grace is amazing. When our hope had all but gone and it seemed as if the promise of a new Davidic king was dead and buried, then God caused a new shoot to grow out of the stump of David's fallen tree. And after 400 years, the drought was finally breaking and the showers of blessing began to fall from heaven to water the dry land of Israel's failing faith. That's Christmas in Luke's Gospel. Chapter 1 is the dawn. Chapter 2 is the new day. Chapter 1 is the prelude. Chapter 2 is the main event. And in our passage today, we're still leading up to the main event. We're looking at the way in which Mary discovered that these things would happen to her. In these verses, God is still making sure that Mary will have the support she needs when it comes time for her to give birth. I mean, how many people, I ask, would normally believe in the idea of a virgin birth? Honestly, I wouldn't, straight away. Would you? I tend to think there might be another more earthly explanation but Elizabeth believed and why did she believe well Elizabeth believed because she was already in the sixth month of her own miraculous pregnancy with John the Baptist she had very good reason to believe that God was at work in Mary's life because he was also at work in her life And another thing to think about is the fact that, well, who's going to protect Mary from all the questioning, suspicious neighbours and all? You can imagine, uh, even Joseph had troubles at first until God also revealed to him the nature of Mary's pregnancy. Joseph was thinking of putting her away quietly, divorcing her. So Mary needs some special care because there's going to be questioning people and neighbours and wondering how come Mary's pregnant? Who's going to care for her? Well, again, cousin Elizabeth is there for her. She's family, and she trusts that Mary is telling the truth. And so God brought these two women together, the elderly Elizabeth and the much younger Mary, and these two ladies became sisters in arms. Sisters in arms. God gave them one another. And then when the newly pregnant Mary went down to visit Elizabeth, this is in verse 39, just after our passage today, we're told of this amazing encounter that happened at the front door. Mary has now fallen pregnant and she's retreating, I would suggest, to go to be with Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt within her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. 
But why am I so favoured that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Do you see what this means? Do you see what Elizabeth called Mary, the mother of my Lord? It means that Elizabeth was probably the first person in history to acknowledge Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. And this at a time when both of their babies were still inside their mother's wombs. I mean, this makes a very good argument against abortion, I would suggest. Awareness of these unborn children and all that's going on here within the womb. These little people. One of them is the Messiah. But now why should I trust that these things are true? One big reason is because the virgin birth doesn't stand alone. Luke makes clear that Christmas is bigger than we think. It actually starts in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist at a time when Mary's conception by the power of the Holy Spirit is about to take place. So let's now look at the Annunciation itself. This is my second point for today, namely to whom it happened, the Virgin Mary. Again, this is the moment where Gabriel tells Mary the news that she's about to become the mother of the Messiah. And so reading from verse 28, the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Did she jump? (laughs) I suppose she might have. Certainly surprised. Let's look at it a little more. When Gabriel says the Lord is with you, he's basically saying Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God is with us, but in greeting Mary, he makes the promise personal. He says the Lord is with you. Gabriel personalises the messianic promise because Mary is about to conceive and give birth to Emmanuel. God is with you, Mary. No wonder she was astonished at these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. Look at verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favour with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. These are some of the most important promises in the Bible. And they're being restated now for Mary's benefit. Really, there's nothing new here that Gabriel's saying. He's just saying what God has said is true for you personally. For example, the promise of the virgin birth comes straight from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It's on the screen for you. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. There's that name again, Emmanuel. But for Mary, the name Emmanuel, he said you will call your son Jesus. So these two identifying names are brought together. Or again, the next promise in verse 32 says this, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Now there are several places, again, in the Old Testament where you can find promises like this. I think in Psalm 89 there's uh, an example of it. Uh, It also aligns up with the original giving of that promise in 2 Samuel chapter 7 where God says to King David, your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. And I could go on. There are promises that are being drawn together and then set before Mary to say all of these wonderful things that God has planned and purposed for his people are going to happen through you. The point is, Gabriel didn't get it wrong. He didn't knock on the wrong door. This has been God's plan and purpose from the beginning. God's plan that Mary should be the one to give birth to Jesus and bring into the world God's incarnate son, God with us, Emmanuel. And what better name could there be for this child than Jesus? As you well know, Jesus means God saves, a name that perfectly defines his God-given mission. God saves. Yahweh, the Lord, is salvation. Jesus From the very beginning of time, it was the Father's will that his Son should share in our humanity. The Son of God is never more majestic than when he's clothed in human flesh, never more glorious than when he's pouring out his love for you and for me on the cross. As a man in the name of love, he came to be our shepherd and a seeker of lost sheep. As a man in the name of mercy, he came to be our redeemer, to purchase our freedom in his own blood. As a man in the name of joy, he came to be our high priest, offering himself as an atoning sacrifice for our sins, that what we do and say might be acceptable to God and pleasing to him. Isaiah says in that famous prophecy about the suffering servant, Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. This is the same Jesus who was born to Mary and became the Son of Man and the Son of God, who is the victor over sin, death and the devil. Again, it's up to you whether you believe this or not. Is it true? Did it happen? I want to say don't dismiss it out of hand because many have testified to the truth of these things and their testimonies have been believed in right up to the present day. There is something powerful about the truth and the truth is being spoken to us today. So I invite you to find out for yourself whether these things are true. The truth is Mary was not rich or famous, She didn't grow up in a palace. She didn't walk in the corridors of power in Jerusalem. She was just a poor servant of the Lord. But by God's grace, she became highly favoured. She became the mother of the Messiah. Early Christians call her Theotokos, which means God-bearer, giving birth to God. To God, the mother of God. That can be wrongly understood. 
But you see the point, don't you? That she was the one, it was her womb that was astonishingly used by God to bring the King of Kings and Lord of Lords into the world. She was the bearer of God's Son. So my third point today looks at the question of how it happened. And that is by a miracle of God's spirit and God's power. Having heard the news that she was to become the mother of the Messiah, Mary now wants to know a little bit more about how this incarnation thing is going to work. Notice though she doesn't doubt God's promise. She doesn't ask God, will this really happen? This is impossible, I don't know if this can be. No, she doesn't say that, but she simply asks, how will this happen? Which is simply a question of practicalities. Mary may be a virgin, but she's not naive. She knows how normal biology works. Again, her question is not a question about faith, about whether it'll happen, but how. A question of practicalities. And that's why she doesn't ask for a sign like Zechariah did when Gabriel gave him the promise of a child to Elizabeth, Zechariah had problems of faith when he was told that Elizabeth could have a child in her old age. Zechariah doubted and God rebuked him for it. But Mary's question is an inquiry, a genuine inquiry for information, for a little more detail. Reading from verse 34, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? Actually, she asks, since I have not known a man. Since I have not known a man, how will this be? Can you please explain how this incarnation thing is going to work? How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I think this is actually the main point in our passage today, the main takeaway. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. He is our creator. He created the whole world and universe by the power of his word. He flung stars into space at the dawn of time. If this is true, then the incarnation shouldn't be a problem, right? Because nothing is impossible with God. It's not a scientific answer, I know, but it's a perfectly reasonable answer and it's sufficient to meet Mary's curiosity and concerns. God will do it. God will make it happen. Basically, God's answer to Mary is, trust me, I'm God. Trust me concerning this child. I am his father. He is my son. And you, Mary, will become pregnant when my spirit comes upon you and my creative power overshadows you. A miracle of creation will occur in you by which this child will come into being, entering into the world, taking on flesh. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I will be his father and he will be my son, just as he ever was and ever will be. Now this is a very great mystery, I admit. There's no 
scientific explanation for the incarnation of the virgin birth. But that's okay because it's a miracle. It's a flat-out miracle and it has to be accepted on trust. Even so, God gives us evidences to rest our faith upon. He always does and he always will. You don't have to leave your brain at the door in order to come to church and be a Christian. Our faith is a reasonable faith which believes in a God of miracles. He tells us beforehand. For example, he tells his people beforehand that the virgin will be with child and give birth to a son. We saw that prophecy from Isaiah. He told the people beforehand, this is what I'm going to do. And then when it happens, he gives eyewitnesses and experiences in life to back it up and confirm the promise. And so our faith rests on the promises of God and on the experience of seeing those promises fulfilled. So Gabriel gives a further evidence for Mary in verse 36. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month for nothing is impossible with God. Here's the supporting evidence. Go and talk to Elizabeth and you will see that what I'm going to do for you is not impossible. You've got eyewitnesses and you've got personal experiences to back it up. So then, our faith as Christians is a reasonable faith. That is to say, we need to use our minds as well as our hearts to read God's word and to think about what God is saying and doing in the world. Our faith is a reasonable faith. We believe in miracles because God tells us what to look for, what to expect. Such is the case with the incarnation and the virgin birth. If you ask me how it happened, I can't tell you. I can only say God did it. But it's a miracle for which the prophecies are here to read about in the Old Testament and the eyewitnesses are here to confirm it in the New Testament. And that's why I personally have reached the conclusion that it is reasonable for me to believe in a God of miracles who ordained these things to happen in history. And here's another thought, something else to reflect upon. Every time a person is added to the family of Christ, every time a person says, wow, I think this is true, I think that Jesus really is Lord of Lord and King of Kings, I want to become a child of God by having Jesus as my saviour, that in itself is a modern miracle, not unlike the virgin birth. There is a connection between the miracle of the virgin birth and the coming of faith of a Christian. Because both are miracles of creative grace, worked by the power of God's word and the presence of God's spirit by the will of the Father. Christ is formed in you, we say, and you are born again. It's birth language, isn't it? The miracle of God's creating faith in you is like the virgin birth. And that's why the Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way. What does he mean? He means, oh, once I thought Christ was just like you and me. We do so no longer. 
Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You see, there's something very special, something very miraculous that happens when a person comes to faith in Jesus. So the next time you share the gospel with a friend, remember to pray for them. Pray for God's word and God's spirit to work that miracle of grace in their lives. May God raise them up to new life. May God enable them to be born again. For nothing is impossible with God. Now my last point today is a short one, but an important one. The question is simply, why does it matter? So what? Well, so far today, we've looked at the Annunciation of Christ's birth to Mary. We've looked at the circumstances behind it, the timing of it, as well as the experiences of Mary and Elizabeth, the miracles of the Incarnation and the Virgin birth. Now, the question is, why does it matter? Well, I want to suggest that verse 38 gives us a good answer. The last verse in our passage today tells us Mary's response to this Annunciation of her birth. This is the key. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me as you have said. Then the angel left her. Now why is that such a helpful verse? Well, the point is she simply puts her faith in God. God says, trust me, and she does. That's the right response to this. It's to see that God tells the truth, that it is the truth, that he has chosen her, and she puts her faith in the promise. You see, you can argue about these things until you're blue in the face. You can dismiss the evidence, you can doubt the eyewitnesses, you can develop your own alternative theories in order to put off the decision. And if you do that, and you're not a Christian today, then you'll go home from this church as empty and unsatisfied in your soul as when you came. And that's sad. Because what is on offer here is a relationship with God, your creator, your king, your Lord. Everything matters here. Do you really want to go home empty? Or do you want to be filled with the spirit? Filled with the joy of your salvation that comes through faith in Jesus? Isn't there something here that speaks to your soul and cries out for you to repent and believe the good news? Isn't there something here that speaks of the truth in a way that makes sense of the world as nothing else can? The inbreaking of God's love and grace in this extraordinary way. Isn't there something divine going on here? Why does it matter that Jesus is both son of God and son of man? Why does it matter that he was born to the Virgin Mary who came from Nazareth in Galilee? Or why does it matter that he should be called Son of God Most High and receive the throne of his father David? Well, it matters because it's true. It's the fulfillment of God's plans and purposes in our lives. Simple as that. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And all God's promises find their yes in him. It matters because it's true. And Mary trusted that. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me as you have said. Today we ignore this truth at our peril. 
So in light of God's word today, I urge you to do the only sensible thing, which is to trust in the Lord as Mary did. I am the Lord's servant. May it be done to me as you have said. It all comes down to a question of trust. Who do you believe? Who do you trust? If you put your trust in Jesus now, then he has promised to save you. If you turn from your sins, if you trust that what God has spoken to you in his word is true, then you will be blessed just as Mary was blessed. You'll be used of God just as Mary was used of God. You'll experience the joy of being highly favoured by God. He will form a new life within you and you will be born again as a child of God. It's a great miracle of grace and all the more wonderful because it's true. So in conclusion, this Christmas, I urge you to do three things. Believe in the virgin birth. It's a great miracle by which God takes on human flesh and becomes one of us, Emmanuel, God with us, except without sin. He needs to become one of us to experience the pains and the agonies of human life and death, that he might be truly our king in order to represent us. He has to be fully human. But also, if he's going to conquer sin, death and the devil... We can't do that in our humanity. He needs to be God. Only God can do that. Only God can satisfy the needs of a righteous God. The cost of the atonement is too great for any sinful human being to accomplish. But Jesus is both, both son of God and son of man. And so on the cross, he can offer himself back to the Father as a sufficient and all-sufficient sacrifice for the sins of the world. Believe in the virgin birth because the gospel falls apart if it isn't true. Second, celebrate Christ and don't let people cancel his name. Trying to say make merry instead of Merry Christmas, little things like that that councils have been doing this year. No, we want to name Christ as our saviour. So own your faith. And I urge you, if at all possible, attend church again tomorrow on Christmas Day. You know, sometimes there's a temptation, oh, I came to church on Sunday and tomorrow do I need to come again? Well, yes, you do need to come again because that's the day when we celebrate our saviour's birth. Why would you not come to church on the second most important day in the, Christ, in the Christian calendar, the birth of our Saviour Jesus. That's the time when we celebrate his birth. Not today. We celebrate his birth tomorrow. Don't play shortcuts with God. The world will look at you and laugh. Oh, yeah, sort of half 50% Christian. A convenience Christian. That's sad. If you call yourself a Christian, then Christmas is the most important day in history apart from the resurrection. By coming to church, you can defend the honour of Christ and encourage your brothers and sisters in Christ. Celebrate Christmas this year with your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the right thing to do and it's a good thing to do. 
Believe in the virgin birth, celebrate Christ and worship Jesus as Lord because that's who he is. Get your understanding of Jesus right. He is our creator who holds time and eternity in his hands. He is our redeemer who conquers sin, death and the devil on the cross and he is our friend who understands all of our human frailties and yet loves us still. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is Christ the Lord and he will save his people from their sins this Christmas because nothing is impossible with God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please refresh us in our faith today. We thank you that what you have revealed to us has challenged us to renew our faith in you. The world doesn't believe in you, but we do. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to share that good news with those around us, with our family and our friends and our neighbours, and that we would not allow the world to lead us to compromise our faith or to water down what we know about you. Lord, we know that nothing is impossible with you. So help us to live by that faith and rejoice in all that you accomplished for us this Christmas. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.